Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining my podcast. It is my pleasure to have on former Major League Baseball player and a member of the 2008 Philadelphia Phillies World Series team. He played for the Chicago White Sox, Chicago Cubs, Toronto Blue Jays, San Francisco Giants. It's my pleasure to have on Scott Ayer. Scott, thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tyler. Thanks for having me, man. No problem. So you told me as we were kind of setting this up, uh, you were telling me you were in the middle of moving from uh, <laughs> here in the Tampa kind of Bradenton area. So I just moved to Clearwater, Florida. Mm. Um, so I think it's about, what, 40, 50 miles north of where you were? About an hour. Yeah, Clearwater. Clearwater Beach is like an hour, hour and 15. We were right in Bradenton. So, yeah, it's about Got it. Got it. And you told me, so I have to ask, and I'm kind of making a joke out of this. So I'm from the Midwest, uh, as we kind of talked about. And all my family, you know, I'm like, hey, I love Florida. You know, I'm going to move down here. Like, I'm set, you know. And all my, you know, all my friends and family were like, that's great. You know, we're happy for you. But come talk to us uh, uh, during the dog days, you know, July and August, about how much you love Florida. And uh, then you told me, you're like, yeah, we're moving to North Carolina because we're tired of the heat. So I have yeah. to ask you, am I going to love Florida in July and August? Um, I don't know if anyone could love Florida. It's actually worse, in my opinion, in September. September to me is like the hottest month there is. I know August is hot and warm, but it's September seems like it's the worst because I think kids go back to school and they're inside and it's hot. But we, my wife and I met in Florida in 1990. Uh, what did we met? June 2nd, 95, we met. We got married in 96 and we've lived there since then. Raised our two kids down there. And they're off to school at Purdue. My oldest is going to graduate from Purdue with a degree in construction management in uh, May. And my younger one is a sophomore this year. He'll be a junior next year with a animal sciences, possibly, possibly into veterinary something. So with them out of the house and it's just us and our, we have five dogs and a couple cats and a couple horses. So the area we moved to here in North Carolina, where it was, you know, we talked about the Carolinas when I was in the minor leagues and in the big leagues. We just, it's just beautiful country, South, South and North Carolina. I mean, so, you know, we, we thought, oh, we'll, we'll look at, at houses up there. So I got on Zillow and started checking houses for months. And all of a sudden she's like, let's put our house up for sale. I'm like, oh, okay. 32 days later, I believe it sold. And wow. then funny, the best part is it sold the day before Thanksgiving. Um, so we took off on the following Monday, like just three days later, drove to North Carolina, uh, Columbus. We're in Columbus, actually, North Carolina. We drove to the Tryon area, and there's a, there's a big thing called the Tryon Equestrian Center there, and it's an international. They, you know, they hold hold World Equestrian Games there, and it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And it's a horse country, and and unlike you, you just moved to where there's basically one and a half seasons. I'm gonna get four seasons a year. <laughs> that's that was the main reason we went we we wanted a different you know, a change you know as married 25 years you need a, a new chapter in life and luckily we were able to do that uh and, and and move and and enjoy like i'm looking out right now at my back porch and i can see the lake that's behind me it's a little it's about a couple hundred yards away and it's just if you like this type of weather it's beautiful out it's probably 45 degrees out today uh, but it's, there's no wind, there's no snow. We don't get a lot of snow here from what I've been told. They get a couple snows a year, but for the most part, it's just, it's cold to cool. And then you get your spring weather and then you get your summer weather where it's hot. It's going to be hot here. Maybe not 101, like in Florida with a real feel of like 107. Wait, you'll, you'll see when you get to that, but you're in Clearwater. It's a little more windy, a little cooler up there. Maybe, maybe only 101, 
<laughs> yeah, definitely and and uh i'm an avid golfer so we'll see how that uh, oh, yeah. how that plays out during the well, uh during the well, golf is really cheap in the summertime most courses are literally less than half price of a golf what the cost is in february like i work, <laughs> I work one of the kids i coached at, at st stephen's high school down in bradenton uh brock Soletti, his dad owns a golf course two golf courses down there um, and in the wintertime, I think the course gets up to about 60, 70 bucks. And yep. in the summertime, you can play it for 18. <laughs> yeah, yep. no, definitely. Yeah. That's, uh, that's how it was. Uh, so the course I mainly play at is right on the bay here, uh, just, uh, here in Clearwater, just North of Largo. Um, and it's, okay. I think right now the rates are like 60 or 65, but during the yeah. summer they're like 35. So, you know, and, and, yeah. and uh, I'm more of a, I, I, I'm not a morning person, so I like to golf yeah, between like 10 and 1. And so, and so uh, the rates seem to be cheaper than people who pay well, more yeah. to golf at 7 in the morning. I just don't get it, but maybe I will at someday. <laughs> and someday you'll be up early because you know you have to get up in the middle of the night to take a pee. So I'm at that yeah. stage. I'm at yeah, that stage I, of my I, life now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, again, appreciate you uh, being on the podcast. And uh, so let's talk about, I like to kind of talk progressively about, you know, kind of where my my guests kind of started, you know, where their mm -hmm. love for their sport, you know, began moving all the way up, you know, through their different stops to what they're doing now. So let's start up, start with uh, growing up. Uh, where did you grow up? I think you mentioned Utah and, and really mm -hmm. what made you, Scott, fall in love with baseball? Well, when my when my mom and dad were still married, we lived in California. We were in we were in Anaheim and then Los Angeles. Um, and my mom says she she has pictures. Well, I've seen them actually. I could barely walk, but I would most of the day, as she put it, and she and she stressed the word most. Most of the day, I would and I end up being a pitcher. By the way, obviously, as we know, but I would take my baseball, my little plastic ball, my little red bat, put it on an ottoman. Like, you know, you stick your feet up on like a little foot ottoman. And it was my tee and whack the ball off the ottoman. And then sometimes she said I'd crawl to get the ball. Sometimes I'd walk over to get the ball until I learned to run over to get the ball. But she said I would do that for literally hours. Um, my father loved base, loves baseball, big Dodger fan. Uh, my mom loves baseball just as much. She could watch a game and, and tell you, you know, why didn't they bunt in the sixth inning? That was just stupid or something. You know, she's like, why would they hit and run in this situation with such and such on deck? She's she's pretty good at it. She's pretty smart. So it was, it was kind of ingrained as a kid. Um, plus, being the oldest of five kids, all my brothers and my sister even loved baseball. It was just something we did. And it was, a, you know, it was something we – obviously, my brother made it to the major leagues as well, Willie, um, for a couple for about three years of service time. So, it was, you know, it was kind of just ingrained in me, and it was something I loved. Um, and then growing up, I, when I was in ninth grade, we moved from California to Utah, um, like a little bit of culture shock there, uh, a lot, a lot different. You know, I went from the Southern California weather to Utah where it's cold and cold and then hot, you know, it's warm in the summertime. And I guess to, to put that part short, I, I had a high school coach named Bob Frado. Bobby was just retired. Actually, I graduated in 1990, Tyler, and he just just retired last year. This last season was his last year. Thirty some years he was there. Unbelievable man. One of my best friends. He's only about seven, eight years older than most of us when he was when we were seniors. So he was like a a, a big older brother to us, basically. Um, and he he basically got me to where I am today because he made sure I was in class every day. I wasn't 
the the best student. Not that I was dumb. I just didn't go to class. I, you know, I didn't do my homework, so I'm not going to go today. He would actually make sure I was in class every day, made sure I got an education. He got me to college. Um, I pitched in the Utah high school senior all-star game at the end of my senior year. And he had a, a, a coach, Jim Walker, who was at the College of Southern Idaho, come watch our game. Well, I pitched the first three innings of the senior game. And I believe, if I remember correctly, I struck out seven of nine batters. <laughs> wow. um, I weighed about 135, 138 pounds, somewhere in that range, right at six foot. And I had a big old curveball, and I threw hard. And I threw, for the most part, threw strikes. And this guy literally, Coach Walker, actually, I signed my letter of intent in the back of his, uh, back of his car after my game. And I, I drove home. My Frado drove me home that night, dropped me off at the house. And I said, Mom, I'm going to college. <laughs> she said, huh? Um, yeah, I said, I'm going to college. I'm going to Southern Idaho Junior College. And, you know, the rest is, I mean, the rest is a long story from there, but that's how I got started. You know, I'm, to this day, I, every time I talk to Coach Fratto, I call him Bob. Every time I talk to him, I tell him, dude, I love you. Appreciate everything you did for me. Definitely. And, and thank you for sharing. I think that's, you know, one thing my listeners would appreciate is the importance of, you know, having a good relationship with your coaches and, and, you know, basically, you know, coaches are, are there to, you know, hopefully, you know, take care of you and, and be a mentor, you know, for you, even after your playing days. I know I've got a couple of coaches in particular from my high school days who, you know, are lifelong friends. Uh, yep. So that's, you know, that's what makes me appreciate the whole, and, and you know it now, you're a coach. I was a, a coach there for a little bit too. You know, that's the best part of coaching, I think, is being able to be a mentor and have people come back yep. and say, hey, well, you know, you were a big influence on it's me. It's the greatest feeling I think there is. I, I mean, as a coach, like having, you know, kids <clears throat> call you or come visit you. Like I had a few kids that I'd coached that graduated five, six years before I'm, I just moved, um, you know, graduated 2015, 14. And they, they sent me text messages. Hey coach, can I come over? I just want to say goodbye before you leave. And man, that hits the real feels button in your heart right there. And, you know, and kids are coming to visit you. I've taken time out of their day to come make sure they say goodbye to you. Like I'm never going to see them again, but I'll see them again. They're like, it's just, it makes that, that to me is what coaching is all about. Teaching them the, the game is the priority, but you know, a lot of times I, I'd like to think there's life lessons or, or life advice uh, somewhere mixed in that coaching and, and for them to come do what they did. Some of the kids is, is truly heartwarming. Definitely. And, and appreciate again, you uh, sharing that. Um, and let's talk about, so you went to college of Southern Idaho and then you were drafted by the Texas Rangers. So kind of talk yeah. to me about that transition from college into being drafted and, and uh, being in the Rangers organization. <laughs> well, first of all, I had no idea I was going to be drafted on the, you know, they do back then they used to have 70, 80 rounds. So I, the first day of the major league draft, I don't even think I, Honestly and truthfully to this day, I don't remember thinking, oh, the big league draft's going to happen today. I might get drafted. I thought I might get drafted somewhere, but I didn't know it was going to be on the first day. I was actually at my one of my best friend's house, Shane Anderson, playing basketball in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a picture. I don't it's not a Polaroid, a regular picture, and it's got a date stamped on it. And it's actually the day it's a, it, we had an adjustable rim. So it's the rim set at like eight and a half feet and I'm doing an alley-oop dunk and they took a, we got a picture of it. We were all doing it. It's kind of fun. <laughs> it's the same day I got drafted. <laughs> so I was at my friend's house and my mom calls and she called and, and Connie comes out, Shane's mom, Connie 
comes out and says, you need to call your mom right now. I'm like, uh, okay, what's so important? Is she all right? <laughs> I call my mom and she's like, you need to come home. You just got drafted. I'm like, I got what? <laughs> uh, I got what? Excuse me? Um, she said she literally dropped, my mom said she literally dropped the phone when they were, uh, if I remember correctly, she was talking to him on the phone and they're like, this is, I forget his name now. Gosh, darn it. My scout, he was awesome. Um, God, anyway, he called and said, you know, we, we just drafted your son in the ninth round of the, the major league draft and he'll be receiving a, I got a Western union telegram actually like the day, a day later. It's kind of strange. I don't know if they do that anymore. <laughs> I think they do direct deposit if I'm not I'm pretty mistaken. sure. Yeah. Well, no, this was just a letter saying that I had been drafted and that my rights were owned by the Texas Rangers for up to a year. If I didn't sign, I gave you all the details. It was just a little oh. telegram. I'm like, Oh my goodness. I, I found it when we were moving, which is awesome. And I sent a picture to Fratto and he's like, Oh, you still have that? And I go, yes, sir. I do. <laughs> I think I put it on Twitter. Actually. I posted it on Twitter actually with a picture of the, of the tele Western Union telegram they sent me. But yeah, I got drafted and I, I actually, I was going to go back to college. I had the opportunity to go back and I, I told my mom, you know, I'm going to go back and get my two-year degree at least uh, and see what happens. And then um, uh, towards August something, I, I believe the pitching coach we had there was Frank Giuliano and Frank actually quit and I was like, that's it. I'm going to sign. So I called my scout and said, do you guys still want me to sign? I'd like to sign. You know, he, so he flew back the next day and it's kind of silly, I think, but they offered me more money. Like that was the, the deal I wasn't signing for. I had nothing to do with it. Nothing whatsoever. <laughs> I was just going to go back to school, you know, try to get an education. Mm -hmm. And they came back and, I, and I'm like, uh, sure, I'll take that. No problem. <laughs> so my first experience in, in pro ball was actually instructional league. I didn't, I didn't even play in 91 when I got drafted. I didn't play that season. So then in 92, yeah, 92, I got to spring training and I, I was, uh, do you remember the name Omar Minaya? He was a big Mets guy for a long time. And yep. Omar actually took me and a few other players um, to the mall and bought us a bunch of the protein powder stuff because I was so skinny. <laughs> I needed to put on weight. They said, I took these protein shakes for a month, Tyler, and I lost five pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I literally lost four or five pounds in the month. I was getting stronger and a little bigger, but I had lost some weight. So it wasn't working, but I stayed that, I, you know, that first summer I stayed in rookie ball or I stayed in extended spring. And then I went to Butte, Montana, and then my career started from there. Awesome. And, and so you uh, were in the Rangers organization there and, and worked your way up. And then uh, you were traded to the White Sox in 1994 and you would make your debut in Chicago in 1997. So yeah. I've, I'm always curious. So you're the first person I've had on my podcast who's played. I wasn't going to say played in Chicago, but we had Theo Fleury on. So played played for the Cubs or the White Sox, uh, which are different markets um, mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, big big markets and stuff. So kind of talk to me about, about that. And, and, you know, now you're, you're playing in the third largest city in America with a big yeah. TV market. Um, what was that like? And, and was there any pressure? And, and honestly, I think my White Sox fans too, I know I'm throwing a lot at you here, but nope. really talk about playing at, I still call it Comiskey Park. Uh, yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, so talk about playing at Comiskey Park and just the, the significance of, of being a White Sox. So, I don't know if there was any, I don't, I don't know if I felt any pressure. I was guaranteed nervous my first big league start, but I got called up when uh, Mr. Reinsdorf made what they just, what the papers and the media deemed the white flag trade. Mm -hmm. 
they, I don't know if you remember that or not. Yep. They I traded, believe Mike Caruso was a part of that trade too. Yeah, he and was, Bobby Howery and Keith Folk. Yep. But they traded away Roberto Hernandez, Danny Darwin, um, and Wilson Alvarez to the Giants. And I went from double A to the big leagues because I just, it, and it, it's funny, I there was some other pitchers in AAA that I guarantee you deserve to be called up before me, but they had just started. And I was on my regular rotation day to start the next day in Anaheim. So I got the call, um, you know, happy go lucky right there for me. Um, but I got called up that first day and it was kind of, I don't know how things work out. Like I always believe things work out for a reason, but I mean, I grew up basically in Anaheim, lived in Anaheim as a child till I was in ninth grade in Anaheim in LA. So my first start was in Anaheim. My, my brother, John, who, uh, was he in high school still then? No, in 97, he had graduated. So he was done with college. I think he didn't work. And I know they, when I, when they, my mom told all my family that I got called up, I don't think there was a hesitation. They all just got in their cars and started driving to Anaheim. Um, I had to leave over 30 tickets, I believe, the first game. Wow. Nowadays, that's unheard. And nowadays, that's, you know, you got to pay a lot of money to do that. But back then, they just, um, Glenn Rosenbaum, who was the White Sox traveling secretary back then, um, he said, how many tickets? Just give me a list of the names of people coming to your game. Don't worry about how many tickets we'll take care of. And I was like, um, okay, thank you. I had no idea how things worked. You know, you're, what was I, 25, I think, at the time? Something like that. And I had no idea. It was a little whirlwind. I think I, <laughs> I, I actually walked out to the uh, dugout about, I would say, a good solid hour before the game started. And our pitching coach, you know, he's, he, he's, he's walking down. He's like, what are you doing? I go. I uh, couldn't sit in the dugout anymore or in the clubhouse anymore. I had to come out here and try to calm down. I'm a little, a little excited. I don't think I was nervous. I think I was overly excited, like, you know, super excited, almost too much for me because I needed to calm down when I was a pitcher. Um, but yeah, that first year in 97 was, was a lot of fun. I, you know, I go through the rookie hazing stuff and, uh, you know, carrying adult beverages onto the beer for certain guys and Gatorades for Albert Bell or Powerade, I think is what he liked. Uh, it's kind of funny, different things, but yeah, that was a that was a that was the first time I got called up '97, and it was I don't know, the city actually took me in very well. Um, I pitched all right that first year. I had I think four wins, and a couple losses, four losses maybe after 11 starts. Then '98 started, you know, and I I was me and John Schneider were the fourth and fifth starters, and I just I struggled from the get go, getting through that stupid fifth inning, man. And it was a probably a mental thing. And I actually, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me. And I know some people will say, oh, you don't you want to be a starter? I got sent to the bullpen. And it was like the best thing ever for me because my high energy, I was able to pitch every day. I had my arm bounced back. I didn't, I was hardly ever sore and tired. And thank goodness, because that, you know, everybody wants to be a starting pitcher and, you know, the limelight. But I really, really loved being in the bullpen. I enjoyed the possibility to pitch every day for my entire career was I don't know if I'd change that, honestly. Definitely. And, and uh, being in the bullpen, too, I'm sure you have some stories about. Um, <laughs> so the bullpen kind of have has its uh, reputation of uh, what do we call it? Shenanigans. Um, lots so of, lots actually, of shenanigans. What's that? Lots of shenanigans. <laughs> Does anyone stand out that you want to talk about already? Uh, you talked about the rookie hazing. Is there any story in particular that you think my listeners would enjoy? Um. No, no, I mean, not really any one story. Shh, quiet, quiet, quiet. Not any one story I would say, like, there's 
I mean, different different places had different rules. Like in Chicago, when I was there on the on the south side, you know, I didn't do. There was not a lot of goofing around because I was a young kid. You know, we had Billy Seamus and Matt Karchner and uh, who else was down there? Man, I can't even think right now. Well, Folk and Howry when they got called up in '98. Um, you know, and we, we were all pretty young, so we kind of, we had Art Kushner, who's, man, the great, and Mark Salas, chief. We had the two of them in the bullpen, and both of them are hilarious storytellers, you know, and I owe a lot to Art Kushner, um, just the, the knowledge he, he gave us every day. You know, the first couple innings of the game were, as he put it, were the screw-around innings. You could screw around all you want. He goes, you can check out the hotties in the stands, do what you want, but that fifth inning rolls around, it's go time. No more screwing around, no more checking out the hotties, focus. And that, that, that philosophy kind of stuck my entire career, you know, is when I got to San Francisco, you weren't really in the bullpen. We were in the dugout because the bullpens were right down the thing and on the, on the field. So we stayed in the dugout till we went to warm up, but Chicago, you know, Cubs were the same thing on the field, but we sat down in the bullpen in Chicago. But some of my favorite things were, you know, they get it, which gets annoying. You know, the kids coming down, can I have a ball? Can I have a ball? Can I have a ball? Mm-hmm. And there was, uh, we were in Minnesota and in Minnesota in the, in the Metrodome and, uh, I, I hadn't, I was, I had pitched, I think it was, we were with the Giants and I had pitched two or three days in a row and I, this kid kept asking us for a ball and I was, I was kind of irritated and I think, and I yelled at him, no, go away, you know, kind of mean. And I, I, he came, as he was walking away, I'm like, hey, hey, I'm sorry, I'll give you a ball if you go get me a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> kid brought me back a hot dog and I gave him two baseballs. <laughs> I was starving. I felt so bad that I yelled at him, so I gave him two baseballs. <laughs> uh, but it was things like that. Like in Philadelphia, I've told this story before. My first day in Philadelphia, you know, I'm the new guy down there. I just cleared my my physical, and I get down there in like the third inning, and and I see one of the guys. We're winning. I think we were winning five or six to one already, and Cole Hamels was pitching that day, so the bullpen was going to have a day off because that man pitched a lot of innings, uh, especially in 08. And uh, I come to find out, if you're hungry in the bullpen, you just ask the chicken and Pete's people to bring you uh, some chicky Pete's fries with the Old Bay seasoning on them. The, oh, man, they're ridiculously good. A little piece of heaven. And they would come to the side of the bullpen. I don't know if you can picture the Phillies bullpen. We're in the lower half of it. They would hold the bag along the side of the concrete and basically drop it, slide it right down the side of the side of the concrete. You'd catch it, walk into the bathroom, and set up the fries and the cheese sauce and eat. <laughs> 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 there's a lot of stuff like that going on. There's, there's some days where we would, you know, a lot of times we just played games. You, you do the, I can't even think like the ABC game, you know, someone would come up with a, with a, a, a baseball name. You'd say Pedro Guerrero and it ends in an O. So you had to come up with the O Omar Vizquel ends in an L. So you had to come up with a, you know what I'm saying? Like we would do things like that. We would do music, music groups. You could start with REM and then someone it ended in an M. So you could say Madonna. Then it ended in an A. You could go ABBA. Different things like that. Just things to pass time by. Silly little games. Um, but, yeah, not too many, like, there was no David. We were no David. Or, uh, what was it? Oh, gosh, what's his name? I can't think of the Mets guy that used to do hot hot feed everybody or steal people's popcorns out of the stands. Um, gosh, he's a reliever. McDowell. <laughs> um, Roger McDowell. Roger was hilarious in the pen. I, we got some stuff like that. The only thing I ever really did was the one time as I – I, I guess I got caught in Houston with my head out the uh, scoreboard there in left field because I was talking to Carlos Lee. El Caballo was out there and I was talking to him and I had my head through the thing and they got it on video or whatever and telling me that, you know, oh, Scott Air messing. I mean, okay, well, the, the bullpen is like 
45 feet right there. It's actually connected to the scoreboard. So I really wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just kind of goofing around, sticking my head out there, yelling at him. <laughs> then, he, then he threw a ball at me. <laughs> nice. Now I have to ask too. So when you played for the Cubs, I believe you were with the Cubs about three seasons yep. Uh, yep. in the bullpens. Now they've since moved them. I believe it was yeah. 2017. They moved them under the bleachers, kind of away from fans. And there's actually, I don't know if you've been back to Wrigley since the World Series year. Nope. Uh, but they have, so when you're walking, so they extended the, the bleachers out. And when you're walking through the concourse, the bleacher concourse there, you walk right by the Cubs bullpen. Of course, it's enclosed, um, okay. but they have a curtain. And usually they have the curtain up. Uh, but there's a little thing with the uh, old school Cubs logo. And it says, please do not disturb the Cubs. You know, so that way if that thing's up, you know, you can see the players. They can see you, but they don't want people, yeah. you know banging on the window and stuff. Um, but when you played and before, like I said, 2017, I mean, yeah. the, the boys were right there and you literally had, then you had seats literally right behind you. I mean, I, it was so close. Fans could probably reach out and, and oh, touch no, we you. Could, they could, they could high, we could high five each other without standing up. Yeah. Yep. So uh, any uh, cool stories about that? Was there anybody sitting down there that you met that, you know, was maybe famous or, or, became friends with you or, or what was kind of that interaction like? Because I mean, that's right there with the fans. You're basically with the fans at that point. I, I did meet a friend and I hope he, I hope he hears this or sees this. And I was name is Phil Greenstead. Greenstead. Um, I've actually, we've actually had breakfast together uh, since after I retired and stuff. And he was, I, he was wearing my world series, Philly's world series ring. Um, but I've met, I met him. He was a season ticket holder. His family had a couple tickets right there and I got to know him the first couple of years. And he was like, even and when I really started to struggle at the, in the beginning of 07, he was that guy that taught, he, you know, that's, that's one of the hardest part is if, you know, Cub fans are super, super passionate. They're very tough on you, but they're also very forgiving when you do your job. Well, you know what I mean? Like they don't hold grudges. They're just, you know, if you do your job and you take responsibility for your screw ups or, bad pitches and don't blame anybody else or do this and do that, they, you know, they're going to respect you for it. And I don't know if, you know, I just, I didn't pitch very well in 07 and I, you know, then I didn't pitch much with Pinella. It was hard to get into a game. Um, and de deservedly so I, I sucked. <laughs> um, but then I started to pitch well in the second half, just not a lot. I, I actually think I ended up the second half without giving up a run in 07. Um, and I did well, but you know, then 08 started and and I got hurt and then I didn't pitch a whole lot and then I got traded later in August. But, you know, I met Phil there at that first year in 06 and he's just a nice guy. He'd bring his grandkid or he'd bring his daughters to the games or he'd bring family to the games. But there was a few guys back there that were there all the time and they were diehard cubbies and they would they'd get your back. You know, if someone was ragging you too much, they'd, they'd hey, shut up, leave him alone. He's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, yeah, being right there next to the fans like that is is – it, it, it's like a catch 22. It can be good and bad depending on who you are. You know, if you're, if you're that guy that isn't fan friendly and you're kind of, you know, oh, sorry, my wife. quiet. My wife just got home. Stop. We have five dogs, by the way. <laughs> That's all right. You know, so you're that fan. If you're that, you're that, that player that isn't super fan friendly and there's, there's, there's some out there, but, um, yeah, it was a little tougher being right next to the fans. But we also had, you know, we also had uh, a good bullpen coach. I mean, for the life of me, I, I just lost his name. I think Lester Schroeder. Yeah, Les, Lester was there. And Lester would, Lester would stand up and look at people and go, come on, man, shut up. 
you know, he'd, he'd stick up for you. He was awesome. I love that dude. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he was one of the, I would always, when I worked for the Cubs, you know, have interactions with him and I was so, so, you know, you remember Lester, he, he, you know, worked under a lot of Cubs managers, I believe, from, oh, yeah. you know, Don Baylor to, uh, Dusty Baker, Lou Pinella, Joe Madden, you know, Dale Swain in there. Um, and I so to see Swain in there, there, yeah. Yeah, so that he was, you know, he was there for the 102 losses, and I believe it was 2012 to 2012, the World yeah. I remember seeing him jump, you know, of course, I was back in Chicago because, you know, the World played on the road that game seven, and uh, I was back in Chicago watching the game there in my, my apartment, and I remember the camera showing Lester Strode. Um, jumping up and down, and and a little tear came in my eye. Of course, I was already crying at that point. I, mean, <laughs> I am, but I remember shedding a tear for Lester because I thought, oh, yeah. here's a guy who's a Cubs lifer, who's who's probably had opportunities to go somewhere else and be like a pitching coach or or maybe oh, even I guarantee he did bench coach, but stuck you know stuck the course. And I thought I was so happy for Lester Strode to to win the World Series, and then you know he's going to eventually get a ring, and and so. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up because he's definitely he's no longer there, uh, yeah. but his presence uh, with the Cubs is, is, you know, was impacted very positively by by a lot of people. So I, I was oh, yeah, very I happy. Had his, I had his number back in 2016. It's kind of funny watching that. I, I fell asleep watching the World Series game and I woke up. No joke. I woke up three pitches. I believe it was what it was before the ground ball to Chris Bryant to end the game. Yeah. I was like, wait, how are they winning now? What the hell happened? Because I'd fallen asleep. You know, it's 1 o'clock Florida time that, that by the time that game ended almost, or 12, whatever it was. But I'd fallen asleep already and woke up with just a few pitches. I'm like, and I, when they won, they clinched. I, I think I yelled, yeah, yeah, or something. And my, I scared my wife. She I woke her up. She's like, what happened? I'm like, they won. So it was, that was exciting. I think I texted him. I had his number. I just looked at my phone. I don't have it anymore. But I, I, I'm pretty sure he was one of, the, one of the guys I texted. I texted Dempster, you know, hey, congrats, blah, blah, blah. Text Woody. They were all, you know, they were done by then. But um, I texted them because I know they're, you know, part of the Cubs organization and stuff, and still are. But yeah, that was exciting. I was very happy for the city right there because I know a lot of people that I met over the time said just what you said before we were talking uh, before we started. You know, just want to see a World Series in my lifetime. Yeah. So many. You hear you hear the funny stories like we took the ventilator off my dad after they won. Like sad stories, but like you know. People wanted to be alive still or, or people passed away like days after because they were somehow holding on. And those those are like the sad stories. But I mean, things that I was thinking about, like, man, all these people that just wanted to see a World Series win. And then there it is. Definitely. We want to talk about um, kind of going along with that, too. We definitely want to talk about your World Series win with the Phillies. But I'll tell you, too, with the with the Cubs one, it was you're exactly right what you were. You know, I was living right downtown they call it gold coast so i was basically on michigan yeah. and pearson um so okay. i was right there in the the uh part of it and i remember so i saw the cubs win it and i was i literally just paused like i didn't say anything i was just like and i wish i had it to this day I, the only regret i have from that was i wish i would have had a neighbor or something you know hey can you film my reaction if they win but i was just i didn't want to jinx it you know yeah exactly um, you just, don't want to jinx it no yeah so I just froze for like a good 10 seconds. And then of course the, the hollering and, and, 
there may have been a little bit of alcohol flowing at that point. Uh, uh, sorry, mom, if you're listening, but I don't think I breathed the sober air of breath for like 48 hours. Uh, but you know, then I ran to Michigan Avenue cause I wanted to see. So my dad told me, he said, if the Cubs ever win, Chicago will just stop. Traffic will stop on oh. Lakeshore drive. And so I wanted to see it. I want to be like, is this the case? I remember going to Michigan and just seeing people, you know, literally like, on top of their cars, you know, screaming, hollering. Oh, yeah. so it was a very, very special time for the city and meant a lot to a lot of people. And I remember, you know, talking to, uh, you know, my grandpa and, and um, you know, my dad, calling my dad. And, and it's just, it was meant so much to so many people. And, and so for you winning one in Philadelphia, what was that like and being a part of World Series team and, and that whole year there in, in Philly? Well, it was, I mean... I had a taste of the World Series in 02 with the Giants and we lost to the Angels. So I had experienced it. So I guess I, I had actually a couple of my teammates asking what it's like. You know, I'm like, what, what's it like? I'm like, well, it's everything you dreamed of as a kid. Like, you know, standing in front of your driveway thinking, all right, I did it as a kid. I would be standing there thinking, all right, I'm about to throw a pitch to Steve Yeager or Mike Socia, whoever was the cat, you know, back then when I was a kid. Like, it's a 3 2 pitch, bases loaded, two outs in the bottom of the ninth. And you throw a pitch and you strike him out and you throw your glove up in the street and pretend like you're one the World Series like the Dodgers did when I was a kid. And you try to emulate all that and then you get there and it's it's really nothing like that. It's 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 almost surreal at some point. You're thinking because to us, a lot of guys, I mean, to me, I just thought of it as another game. Honestly, it's another game. You're supposed to go out, do your job. And if something special happens and you win a game, then you get to release emotions you didn't even know you had. Um and it's, you know, going when I got when I first got to Philly, you know, I left Chicago and we were in a, we were in first place. So it's not like I went from a, a crappy team to a playoff team. I had, you know, had pressure put on us, you know, in 08 to, to continue to win and, and do better. We did no seven. Mm-hmm. And then when I got traded and claimed by the Phillies and I got there, you know, we we're just a couple games behind the Mets for the wild card or, and then wanted to end up winning the division. But the team itself was was some veteran guys. I wouldn't even say older, but younger-ish type veteran guys. You know, I think Hamels is still playing, for goodness sakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chooch just finished, and Chase Utley just finished playing a couple years ago. And I've been done since 2010. That's 11 years ago already. It doesn't seem like that long, but, you know, so we had a team that was – how do you describe Like, I don't even know how to describe it. You know, we, we, we won our first round when Victorino hit the Grand Slam off Sabathia. You know, we thought, man, we're, we're pretty good. And then, you know, we went through and rolled through the Dodgers pretty easily. Not easily, but, you know, we beat them. And when Matt Stairs hit the ball into the night, holy moly, what a bomb. You know, and then we start the series, and you start the series against the Tampa Rays, and we're thinking, we should beat these guys. They're all young kids, and, you know, they, they're, they're super, super inexperienced, and, and they played well. And we just, you know, we seem to have a lot of things click for us, you know, for one – one game we won a, on, a, on a walk-off, a rolling, swinging bunt almost that Bruntlett scored. I don't even remember who hit the ball. I think it might have been Pedro Feliz. I don't even remember who hit it. It was like a swinging bunt, and Bruntlett scored from third, and the game was over, and we won that game. And then we had a blowout game that was a lot of fun where Blanton hit a home run. But then we had the game, game five, that lasted like almost three days because of the, the, the delays. Um, that was, the that was I think, the hardest part was thinking, okay, we're only – Two out, two innings basically away from winning a World Series, but we, got, we can't play today. Oops, nope, too much snow. And the next day, nope, too much snow. We're gonna play tomorrow regardless. Okay, go out there and get ready for a game and and play two innings worth of a game. And 
that was the craziest thing was you get ready for the game like it's a normal game, and then all of a sudden you're already in the – wait, wait, what happened in the first six innings? Oh, we played them two days ago. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you go out there for two innings, and I actually, when the game started, um, Ryan Madsen when, was going in to pitch for us, and I had to stand up and warm up, and I, I was a no-sleeve guy. I didn't like wearing sleeves. It just wasn't comfortable, you know, <laughs> personal preference thing. But I remember standing there looking in the bullpen, like right in front of me, and, you know, because I'm left-handed, so I'm facing all the, all the pitchers in front of me. And I'm standing there shivering, like my whole body's shaking. And I look at Durbin, I go, I really wish I would have worn sleeves today. (laughs) (laughs) Just wasn't something I did. And then the best conversation I had, though, is there was, I think there was one out in the ninth. And Clay Condry and I walked towards the front, like the the center field fence, you know, out out of the underneath the confine or the cover of of the bullpen. And we're looking at each other. And he's like, all right, if he somehow gets these next two outs and they don't score, are you jumping this or are we going down the stairs? And I go, I'm jumping this and then running in and taking my jacket off on the way in. So everybody knows our names. So we jumped <laughs> over the center field fence and started running. I don't think, I don't think I could like, I don't think I could run that far right now, actually, but running that far, we were talking to each other running. He's like, do you believe what just happened? And I'm like, no, I can't get my jacket off. <laughs> Couldn't get the button. You're trying to run as fast as you can to get to the, you know, because you want to be in the dog pile right. um, and celebrate. And we got there a little later, and I don't care. We still jumped on the pile. I think I jumped and hit somebody and landed. And then you kind of roll off, and then you're like, did this just happen for real? Holy moly, that did just happen. And then you're running around trying to find teammates. And, and one of my, one of the team, first teammates I actually found was one of my good friends, Pedro Feliz, who I was in the O2 World Series with with the Giants. He was just, a, we were both young kids then, and now we're in the 08 World Series, you know, six, six years later, and we just won, and we had the biggest hug, and I swear he broke he broke my back, he cracked it a few times, and he picked me up and hugged me, he goes, you believe this, Skinny? He called me Flacco, you believe this, Flacco? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, I can't understand what just happened, and, but the, I, I will say a great, a quick one, when we, when we clinched against the Nationals, I think it was the second to last day of the season that year. You know, I was I was kind of the new guy still. I'd been there two months, but everybody's celebrating. And I talked I talked earlier about, you know, things people say to make you feel comfortable. And I was kind of off to the side, not really celebrating too much because I felt like I was the the guy that was just there and I was kind of letting everybody soak in what they did for a year. And uh-huh. Jimmy Rollins of all people, the you know, the leader of the team, you know, the the voice of the team, the 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 go getter and he looked at me and said, You need to celebrate, young man you're just as big a part of this. We're not here without you. And, you know, someone like that telling you something like that, I started celebrating right after that. And I felt, I felt like I had been a part of the team after he said that to me, I felt like I'd been there for the whole year because of the way I got treated. Uh, but it's those types of emotions, you know, things like that, <clears throat> that, that really set that team apart from anything I played on. It was such a good group of guys. It was, we we're very, I mean, every team is close knit close and tight, but I don't know if there was anyone on that team that, that couldn't go to eat lunch together. Like you, you could pick anyone on that team and they could go eat lunch together. There wasn't two people that said, I'm not going to eat with that guy. He's a, he's an ass, you know, or things like that. Like, yep. you know, I don't think there was any of that. That's awesome. And, and definitely, uh, you know, amazing to think, you know, those world series. And again, I'm kind of pulling from, of course I didn't play. I'm far from a baseball player. Uh, I gave that up, you know, before high school, but, uh, you know, being, just being there, you know, for the Cubs one and just being the baseball fan I am, you know, you come to appreciate. So like when the, 
when the uh, Angels won, unfortunately, in in O two, you know, against the the Giants, um, you know, it was it was, and I say unfortunately because you were on that O two San Francisco <laughs> team, which uh, oh, yeah. I remember that was the first year I had watched Angels in the outfield, so I really came to appreciate the oh. Angels and kind of what that story had meant to people, and so then being there in Chicago and then hearing your story about you know Philadelphia, it really kind of. Um, I, I can't describe it either. So I appreciate you describing, you know, how, how the celebrations go and, and everything. I do have to ask though. So in baseball, it's, it's not like other sports for like hockey and football. You only, you know, do the locker room, champagne, beer celebration, uh, after, a you know, a Super Bowl or Stanley cup win, but with the, with the, with baseball, it's, you know, after you clinch, then after the NLDS and after the, or ALDS, then after yeah. the championship, then the world series. So, Talk to me about, is there any big difference between, number one, what are those like? Because I've never been in, in, in you know, one of the, you see them on TV, but it's like, man, I'd love to be right in the middle of that, you know? Um, but number two, what's the difference between the champagne and the uh, division or clinching and then the World Series? Or is there any difference at all, or do you celebrate the same way? I think when we clinched the division, that was a pretty big party. That was, that was super exciting, but I'm, like when we clinched and we beat the Nationals that night, I, I'm pretty sure that was not just as big as a World Series party, but that that celebration was quite large and quite exciting. And like I said, those guys were going crazy because that was something, you know, they were behind the Mets. And the year before, Jimmy had, had swore they were going to win and then they lost. And he said, we'll be back next year coming for you. And it came to fruition and, and you know, that happened. But I think when we when, – I think it was some teams, I was going to say it was the Braves when they kept winning all those championships every year. I don't even know if they had major celebrations like after they, they won the division or won their the NL Central or, or NL East and then, you know, then they win the NL championship. The, some teams don't have as big a celebration. I don't think that was going to happen in Philly. We celebrated all of them. Like there was, I want to say they got a little bigger each time. I don't think the champagne got any more expensive or any cheaper. I think it was pretty much the same stuff. Uh, at each 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 celebration but it also depends on if you're like you know we clinched the first one didn't, didn't we clinch in milwaukee or i can't even remember anymore now we clinched in la so that's not as that's not going to be as big a celebration as if you clinch at home i think that has a lot to do with it you know when you clinch at home you you can like we we all ran back we grabbed beer and they actually major league baseball told us we weren't allowed to go out on the field with with alcohol and we said screw you and went to the bullpen all with these 24 ounce cans of Bud Light. Um, and we had a cheer. We just said, listen, I don't care if you like what we're doing or not. We're going to go out to the bullpen and we're going to have a cheers. And and we had someone said like a little speech, um, almost like a toast. And we had all the bullpen, Condry, Durbin, Lidge, myself, Madsen. We had Mick Billmeyer out there. Um, and the wives were out there with us. And we all had a cheers. Hey, here's to a great year and and wonderful things. And I don't remember what was said, but. Um, I know we went out there and had our beer and went back inside because they didn't want you drinking in front of the fans, which I understand that now being older. But back then we were like, screw you guys. We just won the World Series. We're going to go do this. Um, but but the, the coolest part was is, is seeing fans. And, and I still don't understand why, you know, we're walking. We're going to a, the, our after party was actually at uh, Pat Burrell's place. He had a condo downtown right there off of Broad Street, I believe. <clears throat> and you I don't. I still don't understand the the one thing. Like you said, you saw people on Michigan Ave now jumping on their cars and doing the. I don't understand the like pulling of trees out of the ground or or knocking over 
you know, signs and things like that's a little destructive, like starting fires and stuff because they're so excited. Like that's just craziness. Yeah. Probably a little drunkenness as well. <laughs> just um, a little bit, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, but like uh, it's I don't know. It's just it's super exciting, man. And the parade they had, I yeah. imagine they have parades in every I know they have parades in every city, but I can imagine I watched the parade in Chicago. What an, and that was just amazing that the, the amount of people they had. Like I saw when they were all up on that stage. And was that down in like, was it in Lincoln Park or? It was in was... Grant Park, which is just south Grant of Park. Lincoln okay. Park. Yeah, okay. Southern Michigan Avenue. And I actually okay. had a pretty good vantage point for that. I was, I told you, I, so I was um, close enough to Michigan Avenue where I could literally lay in my bed and see the whole top half of the John Hancock building. So I was okay. like, so I watched and they were starting at Wrigley and then they told fans don't line up along Lakeshore the buses are going to speed up and then they'll slow down once they get to Michigan I don't know sure I don't know if you remember kind of how Chicago's laid out that area from downtown to Wrigley um and so no fans were along Lakeshore they were just driving by not doing anything and then they started again there on North Michigan and so I literally got to watch watch it you know fans were coming in on like the Metro and stuff you know, the day before <laughs> the morning of, you know, four in the morning. No, um, and me, I got to watch, you know, the stuff up at Wrigley and then, you know, on the TV. And then once they hit Lakeshore Drive, I went down the elevator, walked out to Michigan <laughs> Avenue, was probably like five <laughs> people from the road, watched the parade go by them, then went back up and, and watched the uh, watched the celebration there in Grant Park. So, yeah, it was uh, I believe they said it was like the ninth largest human gathering uh, on record there in Chicago for that. So I could only imagine to, you know, Philadelphia, I'm sure it was, you know, just a sea of red, you know, every oh, street it was. I have pictures and lots of pictures and, and, you know, you drive down Broad Street, it's just one long street and you would see the, the, the turnoffs on each, you know, like, I don't know the names of the streets, but you would see people up and down each, like, not, let alone just up and down Broad Street on both sides while all the vans and, or the, we had these like party things we were up on top of stuff, like <laughs> carrying us and stuff like that. It's kind of funny. My kids were on the float with me and my wife and I was with Matt Madsen and Joe Blanton were on our float. I think it was just the three of us. And my kids were the, <clears throat> my kids were the one. They had these huge bags full of confetti, and you'd throw the confetti into into these machines that were blowing it off the back of our truck. And that's what my kids did for like an hour and a half. Do <laughs> that. Meanwhile, while we were standing up front looking at people going, "Who's got a Bud Light? I'll take a Bud Light and throw you beer." Because they told us not to take beer on the on the on the buses, um, you know, which was not going to happen. I mean, you had Brett Myers had his own twenty four pack probably. <laughs> um, i'm pretty sure blanton the kentucky boy had some moonshine up there but you know you would look down at fans and and smile or wave at them and take a picture and can i get a beer and they'd throw you a beer up and it was and you shotgun a beer for them and i mean that it literally like you said it made their day or made their lifetime some of them i can only imagine you know being being john lester and some of those guys and and just good gosh i doubt any of those guys ever have to pay for anything in their life going to chicago you know oh. grandpa ross you know like some of the stuff that happened in that series like it was magical literally like you know being as i was watching it as a fan at that point because i was six years done retired and so i'm watching it as a fan cheering for the cubs not 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 so much because i played there more because i knew what it meant to the city and i knew what it meant to millions of fans and all those guys that was a they were just a great team, man. I mean, up and down, like they were very, very good up and down all over the place. And, 
and Joe Madden had his ways to motivate players and, and get the best out of them, you know? What, uh, what makes Wrigley so special? Like playing there, you played there, you went to, you know, you, the 120 games, you know, it's not like it's a daily, you know, 705 game four times out of the week, you know, when there's a 10 game homestand or whatever. The so history. what? Just the, history. just the sheer history of, and the fact that it's never changed that the Ivy's out there, that they didn't change. They didn't, you know, they didn't succumb to the, all the new stadiums and say, oh, we got to put this $20 million scoreboard out there. No, they got a sweet scoreboard, and I, I, w- I hope they never change it. You know, I, I know it's changed a lot now, but, right. you know, there's like I was there, I was part, was in there, and when they first put the uh, Under Armour on the um, outfield doors, you know, there was <laughs> no signage out there. There were never a Nike sign or uh, anything, Adidas, nothing was out there. And I remember the, I think it was 07 or 08 when they finally, you know, finally said that we're going to put these signs on the doors. And that was a big thing for them. Like that was a, something new. Or, you know, when they put the the neon signs around the upper deck, you know, that, that showed the players and names and stuff and the scrolling stuff, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Like that was, that's one of the last stadiums in, in to do that. You know, they just, they didn't, they didn't say, Hey, we need to update and be like all these new modern stadiums. They stayed old to their roots and their history. And I think that's, part of the allure of it you know that's part of the allure of, of Fenway as well and there's not you know there's not that many old old stadiums I would say you know you got Chavez Ravine in in LA which they they I believe they just changed all the outfield stuff it's like a mini mall out in the center field now instead of just a parking lot but you know for the longest time they they just it was what it looked like in the 80s and the 70s and 60s for that matter with the yellow seats and the yellow and blue seats in the stadium you know Wrigley never it's just just the history and the fact that's that's my opinion on it. I, I just think it, the allure of it is that it's so old and it's stayed stood the test of time. And you know they've had their stuff falling down. Like what was it? What year was that when the stuff was falling down from above? Oh six. <laughs> I remember that. Oh yeah, six. Yeah. They had to put the nets, and I believe the nets are still there. They had to put the nets up to keep the concrete from falling yeah. from the. Yeah. Uh, how about sitting in your seat and a piece of concrete falls in your head? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. To me, that's have- just, it, it's, it's just that thing that shows you that things built 70 years ago are most likely built better than they are today. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> definitely. The old adelage, uh, they don't make things like they used to, you know? No, no, yeah. What uh and, and I know too, of course, it's been updated. Um, it's been updated since then, but I, I had been in both uh the old cubs clubhouse and then the visitors clubhouse several times um and the um how do you put this uh, politely uh they weren't the most um uh, oh. fancy uh oh, so no. that, you talked about the history so i've always wanted to ask so the cubs clubhouse in particular of course you've you've been in both I've, too i've seen both of the old I've, I've seen video or pictures of the new one things like that and in, in the new area underneath but yeah i was i've never been in the new one yet but the old one like home side was carry i, I want to say it was glendon rush actually that said the first one of my first days there he, i said man so the media just stands down at that end he goes yeah and they know every time you take a crap complaining i mean you talked about the history about it though but i mean that is kind of part of the history too is those those old clubhouses that have since been yes. you know renovated but was there any complaining or did you just know coming to chicago oh, you that know. no you just know that if you're in the visitor side when you come in as a visitor to chicago that you're um gonna be cramped if you <laughs> gonna be a little gross here if you bend over everyone's gonna see 
<laughs> you gotta make sure no one's standing right next to you or you're gonna bump somebody. <laughs> the, the big, hey, 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 quiet, please. Goofballs. Just mama. Jeez. Um, it's just, you know, stop. It's just, you know, it's one of those things you just grow to expect. You know, the, the difference is the clubhouse managers. You know, if you get a good, like, yep. the clubby guys in, on the visiting side were, were, were good. You know, they had good food out there and you know, at, before games and after games and stuff like that. And it's like you said, it just is what it is. You know, you go to Fenway and if you're, if you're in Fenway in September and you have a bunch of September call-ups, you know, guys are double. I just funny. I was talking to Bob File, my teammate from the Blue Jays on Twitter and someone asked him about clubhouses and he's like, I had two locker mates in Fenway the first year. So there was three people in one locker Yep. sharing a locker. So like, yeah, you just, so after a game, you know, maybe two of you go get some food first, uh, which being rookies, you're not supposed to do. Well, not when I was playing anyways, but it's all different now, but like, you know, you, you didn't go get your food. So like say Bob could go get undressed and then, and then Corey Thurman would have to go after he got undressed so he could get to the locker because his stuff's in the same locker. <laughs> you know, just small, like Dodger Stadium, the visiting locker room. You know, I grew up, like, you like idolizing the Dodgers, obviously, and, and you get to the locker room, you walk in, and you go, ew, I didn't know it looked this gross. And it was just old and small. It's not supposed to be nice. It's the visitors, though. They're not supposed to be comfortable. Um, but just like that, every, every stadium has its quirks and things, and you just know. It is what it is, you know, deal with it. You're in the big leagues. You shouldn't complain about anything, first of all. And you were talking, too, about the clubhouse managers. So I have to ask, and, and uh, he since passed away, but he did get to see the, the Cubs win the World Series. And I was happy for this gentleman as well, uh, Yosh Kawano, the longtime. Yeah. I believe he was with the Cubs for almost 70 years. Yeah. Uh, so do you have any stories? I've heard some stories from uh, Steve Trout talking to him one day about uh, – Rainbow Trout. Yosh, yep, yep, yep. I uh, so funny story about Steve, and um, not trying to talk about me or my stories, but I think no, 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 I love it. So I was working security. It was my second year for the Cubs, and I was doing tours for for security. And uh, so how the tours were arranged were there were three security guys. One person would take tickets, check bags. One person would sit in the Cubs dugout, and then one would sit in the uh, visitors' clubhouse. And I always opted to try to sit in the dugout because, you know, every Heck third yeah. quarter come through, be there 10 minutes, you know, they're gone. And then you have the whole place to your to yourself, you know. And I would just yeah. sit there and idle, you know, think about, you know, all the people who walk through that Cubs dugout. So anyway, funny story about oh, Steve. Yeah. I work in the front gate. And I didn't recognize Steve. Uh, I probably should have, but I didn't. Anyway, the tours were sold out, like completely sold out that day. And Steve comes walking up and goes, hey, is this where the tours are? And I said, yes, sir, but they're, you know, sold out for today. I, I apologize. And he goes, no, is, is this where the tours are? And I said, yes, sir. Uh, you know, is, uh, but they're, they're sold out. You know, if you'd like to come back tomorrow, I believe there's still tickets. He goes, you don't know who I am, do you? He was real cool about it. Um, and I, I'm the one doing the next tour and I they forgot to tell me that I guess the next tour was like a paid you know like we'll pair you up with the Cubs alum and they'll talk about you know their time with the Cubs uh. while the tour. but they failed to tell me that and so here <laughs> I almost was trying to basically shoo Steve Trout away uh, but then after that I shook his hand and apologized and was like hey you know and yeah, then we talked Oh yeah, he laughed, and we we mm. talked for a good thirty minutes, and he told me some stories about Yosh and oh, and um, you know just playing at Wrigley. So you know, I was glad I didn't you know really burn a bridge with that uh, that uh, <laughs> that little deal there. But you know, so 
So it was cool to hear that. So talk to me about Yosh and, and um, maybe some other people that work for the Cubs uh, or other people at other ballparks that you played at that, that, will always, uh, that were very special to you. Well, I didn't get to know Yosh very well. Yosh was really old at the time I was there, but I did actually, you know, his signature white um, little bucket hat. <laughs> yep. I did. I did get. I did get him to sign his 2007, I believe, is what it was. Uh, his spring. He wore one every year. Spring training. He wore a new one every spring training. He's. I actually still have it. It's in my my room over there. I just saw it the other day. <clears throat> he signed it for me and gave it to me at the end of spring training. I actually. I asked him. I said, Yosh, can I get a hat? One of your bucket hats. He signed it for me. He's like, you want me to sign this? I said, please, that would be awesome. I'll put it up in my man cave someday. And I did. I put it up in my man cave at the old house. I had it actually over. Uh, it was actually on top of one of Kerry Woods. Uh, he did a bowling event in Wrigley. Mm-hmm. At, at, at what's it called? Strike something? It's right there in uh, downtown. Strikeout something. Strikeout. I can't well, remember. No, the, bowl, the strike lanes is what it was. It was right next to the Blues House of Blues. So there was that bowling yep. alley. It was a awesome bowling alley. But anyway, I had the one of the bowling pins signed by all the by all the guys. You know, Sean Marshall's on there, and and, and Marmol and Zambrano and a bunch of these guys. And I put Yoshi's hat right on top of that pinball pin, uh, bowling ball or bowling pin, excuse me. And most people, when they come over and look at all my stuff, are like, why do you have a bowling pin? And I said, well, it was for an event, great cause, and. And then, well, what's this hat? Who's, what's that say? I said, it says Yosh Kawano. I said, legendary Cubs guy. Yep. And so that was, you know, he was just, a, I mean, like I said, he was older at the time. And um, I don't remember even if he, I don't even know if he was in Chicago with us that year. I think he was just in spring training those last couple of years. Because we had Otis, <laughs> Otis and Gary and uh, Rich and those guys. <clears throat> and my boy, Jonathan Varimus. Um, I haven't talked to those guys in forever, man, but it was, there's a good, those are a good group of guys, you know, that, that took care of everything in Chicago. And they, and again, they treated me like I was, they treated me like I was, you know, one of those superstars. And and that's, that's the coolest thing. One of the coolest things about Chicago and other places. One of my favorites though, is Mike Murphy. He's a, was, I think he's still working. I'm not sure. He was a clubhouse manager in San Francisco. And my kids to that, we named our, we named one of our dogs after him because my kids, he would let, if you had kids and they were behaved, he would, you, they could be in the clubhouse during the day. <laughs> they were in the clubhouse during the game actually, but he put them to work and he'd have his, you know, the batting practice clothes that were all folded and, and, and ready to be hung up. He would hand them to kids. The kids would go to the thing and they'd go 47. Who's 47. They go Felix Rodriguez, you know? And they put his stuff in his locker. Who's 49? That's your dad, dummy. Oh, it goes to dad's <laughs> locker. So, you know, like different things like, you know, they'd put, they'd hang our clothes up and he'd put them to work. And so they loved Uncle Murph. You know, he'd take them in the middle of the game. Like he'd, he'd order hot dogs or nachos or San Francisco's known for their garlic fries. And he'd order a thing of garlic fries for the kids. And they could, as long as they did their work, he took care of them. And yep. so my, we got a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel and my dogs, my kids named him Murphy. So. <laughs> That was, that, he was one of the most special ones, but there's a lot of guys. Obviously, if you're, I'll say it out loud, if you're if you're kind of a, a dink or a, not a nice person, you're usually not working in the big leagues very long anyways, especially around all the players. You know, if the players don't like you, you're usually not get, keeping your job for very long. Um, so, like, all the guys in Chicago were awesome. Definitely. And uh, 
it was a very special time. I know uh, growing up, and, and we were talking before, just growing up watching the Cubs, you know, being a diehard Cubs fan, and then having the, you know, I was very blessed to have the opportunity to work for them, be there during the World Series year, and then the White Sox, too, you know, how special yes. that was. So my best friends are you know, I work with or we're season ticket holders for the White Sox. So Chicago, it, you know, will always have a special place in my heart. And, and you oh, know, yeah. then, you know, I've heard great things about, you know, like Blue Jays, the Giants and, and the Phillies, of course, you know, that 08 team. And so I really appreciate you sharing all those stories. Last couple uh, questions, if you don't mind. I know we're kind of getting toward, uh, I try to keep these under an hour, but we're having such a great conversation. Yeah, I, I, I talk a lot, sorry. <laughs> no, I, 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 I've really enjoyed I'm glad you, uh, um, to have you on and everything. So uh, I have to ask, so you played for Dusty okay. Baker in, oh. in San Francisco. Then you played for him in Chicago. So talk to me about Dusty and, and playing for the same manager in two different spots. Is there any sort of differences or, or any sort of uh, anything with that? Or Well, I, I grew up a Dodger fan. And if you remember, Dusty was a Dodger for a long time. He was on the World Series team. And I actually got his autograph on my Dodgers hat when I was, I don't remember if I was 10, 11 or 12, I was a young kid and I, I got, a, I had my Dodgers hat and then I got drafted years later. And when I was in Toronto, I, I was, I got traded to the Giants and I get out there and, you know, I already know I'm like, Dusty managers, my Dusty Baker's my manager. Holy crap. So I get there my very first day and the very first conversation we had, he says, he says hi to me, welcome and tells me my role. And I looked down, I go, can I tell you a story? He goes, let's go. Let me hear it. I go, you signed my Dodgers hat when I was 12 or 11. I don't remember what I was. And I go, I still have it. He goes, you do not. Can you imagine him saying, he goes, you do not. I go, yes, I do. My mom's actually going to mail it to me. I was going to get you to sign it again. Um, so he actually signed my hat twice. I, I think it's, uh, it's somewhere. I have it somewhere. I, I don't, I might've actually given it away to or so, uh, to my, my brothers or something. But yeah, I got a hat signed by Dusty Baker when I was a kid and then I got to play for him. So think about that. Like that's, I don't even know how to describe that anymore. But then when I was a free agent at the end after San Francisco and I'd played for the last three years, three, 2003, four and five for Felipe Alou. And, you know, I was a free agent and the Cubs, you know, were, were obviously the Cubs. And again, you asked about, you know, the history of it and like, who wouldn't want to try to play for the Cubs, you know, or. I could have gone and tried to play for the Dodgers or, you know, my favorite team as a kid and this and that. But Dusty was the manager in Chicago, and he was a big reason I signed there. He was only there in 06, you know, and then we got Lou Pinella. But Dusty was one of the big reasons I signed in Chicago, honestly. It was a chance to play for him because he was my type of guy, relaxed, you know, loved the game with a passion that's that's unmatched. And, but he was also just chill. You know, he wasn't a high energy. He'd get upset and get fired up. But for the most part, he was just chill with his toothpick in his mouth and eating his grapes in the third inning, you know, or his <laughs> little fruit cup. And you know, Otis, so Otis would bring him like a, a, a little cup of fruit in like the third inning of the game. And he'd eat, you know, well, during the game and go to with his wristband. I mean, him, what kind of manager wears wristbands? Yep. It's amazing. And you know, so like when he got the job and, and, he, a couple of years ago in Washington for a little while, I, I sent him a text message, told him congrats. And I've stayed in touch over the years with him. But again, it's one of those things like growing up a kid watching him play the outfield. <clears throat> and I played the outfield in little league and stuff like that. And, you know, I wasn't nothing like him. I was left-handed and he's right-handed and he's super tall and strong. And I was super small and skinny, <laughs> but, you know, growing up idolizing someone like that, then you get to not let alone meet somebody, let, but play him, play with him. 
for a couple seasons is is like a dream come true and that that was a big part of it for me yeah definitely he uh definitely had a lot of history there with the 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 giants managing them and, and then of course the uh cubs years and and had some very yeah. successful teams we won't we won't talk about the 2003 season was great until yeah. shall we but we're not going to talk about that and and yeah. uh but, you know, he really is, and everybody I've talked to who knows him says, you know, he's just a down-to-earth guy. So, you know, I'm really oh, pulling yeah. Dusty Baker in Houston. Uh, obviously, the Cubs will always be my team, but you want yeah. somebody like Dusty who um, cares about the game, manages the game in the right way. You want people like that. And, and from people like you and other people have said, cares about his players and, and really wants yeah. them to see you root for guys like that you don't really, root against he really, like that. he really took an interest in his players got to know him in, in my opinion he got to know things about you you know he knows my kid and when i did talk to him he's like how are the boys doing you know and i'd say they're in college and he's like oh my god really already <laughs> uh, you know things like that wow. so yeah he was he was a joy to play around Definitely. And then we were uh, talking here, kind of talking about a little bit about what you're doing now. Obviously, the, you guys just got done with a big move and, and congratulations yep. on that move. Uh, I know uh, would have loved to have, uh, you know, with you being an hour from here, we'd love to have met up and golf sometime. But yeah, maybe that'll go. <laughs> What's that? I said, yeah, we could have gone golfing. I actually uh, like yeah. this. I like disc golfing now more than anything. My, <laughs> nice. My, I kids haven't in, tried. my kids are into the Frisbee golf. <laughs> I haven't tried that, but apparently there's a really, because uh, I'm I'm doing a thing there's, now that I live here where I try new uh, golf courses in the Clearwater, Largo, okay. House Park area. And, and uh, the one that keeps, you know, I'll just Google search like golf courses in Clearwater and, you know, Cove K, uh, uh, the landings. I've played it all those many times, you know, um, but there's one that always pops up. It's like the first one, but it's a disc golf course. And I'm like, that's not really the course I was talking about, but, but maybe I'll try it someday. Who knows? You should. It's actually, it's actually my kids. So my quick story, my kids over COVID last year came home for spring break and then COVID hit and they didn't go back to school. Well, I was coach in the summertime. I was coaching a collegiate college summer league team called the, uh, where the Bradenton juice. Mm -hmm. And we, we actually played last summer, even through the COVID, we've had our regulations and guidelines and we stuck to them. We got to play 27, 28 games. My kids were golf disc golfing almost every day with some of their friends. And I was like, what are you guys doing? What are they? And they bought me some discs and we went out and played and it is so much fun, especially if you get to do it with your kids, you know, and it's even more special, but I actually have a, a, a catch a, a I don't even know what you call it, a basket a disc catcher in the backyard. The kids bought me for Christmas, um, but they play They're in, they're at Purdue. Both my <laughs> kids are boilermakers. So they actually, he sent me a Snapchat video the other day of them playing. And there's like, I don't know, a foot of snow on the ground and they're playing disc golf. <laughs> <laughs> nice. They love it. It's a, it's a very, the, actually, I think the course you're talking about is, if, is, is it near the water, like along the water? I believe so. I think it's just north of the Clearwater Airport. It's a here. very, very nice course. Uh, my kids wanted to go up there and play, but we just didn't get time before we moved. Um, but yeah, yeah you can find there's an app called U Disc, the, le mm -hmm. the letter U, U Disc, and it'll tell you all the golf courses around or the disc courses around. It'll give you ratings on them and a map of the course. And we, so when we, since we got up here, uh, enough. We didn't, you know, we didn't have, I don't golf at all anymore, really. I just disc golf. I'm going to stand up and move. The dog's gonna keep barking. <laughs> if the squirrel runs out outside, she barks. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, they uh, they they play disc golf a lot. We didn't. We actually we, we did what we canceled Christmas this year because we were moving. You know, we just kind of yep. didn't buy a lot of presents. We did what we called the seven days of discmas. <laughs> 
So we exchanged <laughs> we exchanged discs every day with the boys. My myself, they bought me they bought me discs and I bought them discs. So that's what we did this year. It's kind of fun. Nice. That sounds fun. I'll definitely uh, check that out sometime, and I'll uh, I'll let you know how it is for sure. Yeah. Uh, and and then you're you're coaching now. You're a volunteer a coach yeah. at a high school there, in North Carolina, and and it sounds like the season. Uh, at least I was talking to my old high school baseball coach last night, and it sounds like the season's a go in uh, in Missouri. So is it going to be the same thing in in North Carolina? And and how's the team looking? Actually, yeah, they're uh, they we had our first week of practices this last week. I'm it's actually it's funny where Columbia, where I live is I'm like I think I'm five minutes from the South Carolina border, so the high school I'm at is in Landrum, South Carolina. We're the Landrum Cardinals. So back to the Cardinals. Um, and we are, as, as far as I saw, where the the preseason rankings, we were number one in 2A. So it's a smaller school. There's only about 575 students, is what I believe Mr. Gentry, the AD, told me. Um, but it's funny, my brother Willie, when I was moving up here, when he found out, he goes, he goes, what's your address again? And I told him my address. And he goes, he types it in. He goes, there's a high school about 20 minutes from you. And I go, yeah, there's one like five minutes from me, too. He goes, yeah, but they're not very good. This one's really good. They won the state title two years ago in 2019, and they have a bunch of returning seniors. I'm like, okay, so what do you want me to do about that? He's like, you should contact their coach. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not that type of guy, I guess. And so long story short, I ended up, I did end up sending a Twitter message to the, the head coach. His name is Daniel Little. So I sent a coach, I sent a message to Coach Little about, you know, a volunteer possibly come on. He's like, well, we don't need paid positions this year. I'm like, no, fine. I understand. It's January. I don't, didn't expect to be a paid position this year, but so I'm an unpaid volunteer this year at Landrum high school. And I, uh, I have to actually watch a bunch of videos this weekend on the concussion protocols and different things, you know, good for South Carolina and stuff like that to coach. But uh, we just had our first week of practices and it's a great group of kids. The one thing I'm going to have to get used to is though, is being called sir by every young man, every kid in this area. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yep. I mean, if you say something to me like, Hey, how was school today? It was good, sir. How was your day? And I'm like, the whole sir thing and it's not because i'm older they do it to everybody they're just yeah i guess i'm i wouldn't i wouldn't really consider this the south but it's treated like that so and we have one kid who's actually pretty darn good he's actually i believe he's a mississippi state commit uh wow. evan evan sieri after i don't remember his last evan is his first name but he's a right-hander uh junior this year he's probably i think he's upper 80s to 90 92 and I've, you know, most people say, oh, I throw 90. No, he's legit. I've actually seen him pitch. Wow. Um, so we should be, it's a, it's a good group of kids. They all work hard. And I'll tell you what, you know how cold it is up here. Like it was 40 <laughs> degrees the other day. Not one of our kids on the team. I, I, I keep harping on this because it's amazing to me. Not one kid during a two hour practice with 15 to 20 mile an hour gusts. I hear, I heard say it's colder. Oh man, it's so windy. Not one child. Tyler complained about anything and that's from their head coach. He doesn't want to hear it. He's I don't want to hear it. I don't want any of my coaches to hear you complain about it. Just get out here and be thankful. You get to be on a baseball field every day. Wow. So yeah, that, 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 when he said that the first day, I was like, yeah, he goes, don't think of this as work. Think of this as a blessing. You get to be on a baseball field. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I like this guy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. It, uh, you know, it makes me wonder too, you know, looking back on, on, uh, my short lived career, it's like, man, if I could just go back and do it one more time, I would, I would give, you know, an arm and a leg to do it. So it's definitely uh, good to hear that coaches are instilling that in their players and their age. Oh yeah. And the kids respect him so much that it's, it's, it's not even a question of, he says, do something, they just do it. 
That's awesome. Hey, are you, uh, appreciate you sharing all these and, and, uh, really enjoyed our conversation. And, uh, are you ready for Tyler's five? And again, it's just yeah, five got some off the wall questions. Let's go off, off the wall. And of course the first question, you could probably already guess what it is, uh, because what's tomorrow. So, uh, have to ask who are you picking bucks or chiefs? Oh, chiefs. Chiefs. Okay, I can I can respect that. I'm Even a ten, I'm, I'm a Bronco fan, so I, I my brother is a is a big Cardinals or a big Chiefs fan, and that stems from the football from the old Nintendo game Super Tecmo Bowl. Yep, yep. When it first came out, my brother John and my brother Willie and I would play, and what <laughs> we did is we picked random teams, and just pick a random, and my brother got the Chiefs in like the first thing, and we played a season. And my younger brother, Willie, got the Oilers and Warren Moon. So, and I picked the Broncos. I got to pick. I just, I didn't random pick. I just picked because I was a Bronco fan. Um, so we all kind of became fans because of this. So now my brother, Willie, is a Vikings fan because, you know, the Oilers became the Vikings and vice versa or whatnot yeah. uh, and all that. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Plus, it's, you know, former Major League Baseball player's son is the quarterback, and he is just so much fun to watch play the game. Holy crap. Definitely, and I know it's, to me it's, it's like watching a young Brett Favre with the excitement and, and and exuberance that he brings. You know that he's just so much fun to watch. How can you not? And Tom Brady's done it so many times. And plus, because I lived in Tampa, I'm not a Bucks fan. Sorry, everybody at Tampa, but yeah. <laughs> Although Definitely. I'm a Brady fan because he went to Michigan, and I grew up a Michigan basketball fan back in the day, and baseball because of Jim Abbott. So, but yeah. definitely, well, I definitely can respect that pick. Being a Missouri, I'm kind of in a I don't know who I'm going to pick yet, to be honest with you, uh, Scott, because, you know, I've got the Missouri roots being the Missouri boy, but yeah. I'm in Tampa and, and uh, I've kind of yeah, got a street. Missouri roots take over. You've only been in Tampa a few months. Yeah, but I've got a street going. So I uh, within one year. So I moved to Chicago in 2015. A week and a half later, the Blackhawks win the Stanley Cup. I moved to oh. St. Louis a year later. The uh, Within the year, the Blues won the Stanley Cup. I moved here. So I technically count oh. this, but I really can't. I signed my lease here, but I was still in St. Louis. But the Lightning won the Stanley Cup. So in order to wow. solidify the streak, the Buccaneers would have to win. And within a year of me moving to these places, uh, somebody's I, I know, won. I have a lot of friends in Philly that wouldn't mind you moving there so the Flyers would win. <laughs> I tell my cousin, he's a big Blackhawks <laughs> fan. He's like, where are, you, where are you moving next? And I say, Detroit. <laughs> One of my good friends is Kevin DeGandhi, ESPN analyst, and he's a yep. giant. He's a huge, I can't even say giant, actually. He'd probably get mad at me. A huge, all Philly sports fans, you know, all Philly sports, Phil, Phillies, Flyers, Eagles, Sixers. Yeah, he's diehard. So, yeah, you should probably move to Philly, and he'll probably get you set up. <laughs> That's awesome. So second one, now that we're kind of talking okay. about, uh, we've talked about KC and the Carolinas. So KC, Memphis, or Carolina barbecue? Oh, man. I'm probably, I, I'm a Memphis barbecue because it, Memphis is spice, it's a little spicier, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Can't use it. If it's, yeah, I'm a Memphis barbecue guy. Um, not really. <clears throat> Not really a huge barbecue guy, but I do know I like the Memphis smoked barbecues that I, when I go to a place. That's awesome. Uh, so staying on the topic of food here, uh, favorite ice cream? Oh, that's that's chocolate chip. Old school chocolate, chocolate chip. chip. Like it's hard to find just plain chocolate chip ice cream now. I I, I challenge you. Next time you go to the store, look and see if you can find chocolate chip with like the little 
You know what I'm talking about? Like the little yep. shaved chocolate chip in it, not the big chocolate chips, big. Or not chocolate chip cookie dough or chocolate chip yep. cookie monster or chocolate chip, just plain. I'll uh, I'll go to that's win. My favorite. I gotta go to Win Dixie later anyway, so I'll I'll let you know if I find some. But I doubt yeah. I uh I, I doubt because I'll pick up chocolate chip too. But it's always like you said the big the big chunks are like the chocolate yeah, I don't chip want dough. The big so chunks. I want the little bit. And if yeah. I had to go to a second one, it's definitely Neapolitan. Because nobody likes Neapolitan, and I like all three flavors. <laughs> Those are my – that's actually my favorite too. So chocolate chip, I'll go to the store, and I'll buy chocolate chip and Neapolitan and bring it home. So My um, family, my family they, no one will eat it all because no one likes strawberry. Oh, so like, see, that's well, I can choose if I want strawberry, vanilla, or chocolate. <laughs> that's one awesome. scoop of each. Yep, yep. Uh, fourth question, again, uh, and I didn't plan this out this way, but just so happened. Uh, staying on the question, hot dogs or brats? Oh, hot dogs, guaranteed. And yes, I put ketchup on them. <laughs> so everybody in Chicago that says you can't put ketchup on a hot dog, you can suck it. I put ketchup all over my hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they're wrong because I see it at Wrigley Field and at Comiskey all the time. So. Yep. And uh, last question, Scott. Uh, favorite place in Florida? Favorite place in Florida? Yep. Oh, man. I mean, Siesta Key Beach. We didn't even go there much. My wife and I never hardly ever went to the beach, but when we did go, it's it's like, like I said, I grew up in California watching the sunrise and sunsets. And but to, if you go out to Siesta Key and watch the sunset out there, it is just gorgeous. You got the white sand beaches and the sun. I mean, it obviously looks like it literally just dips right into the water. <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome well scott i really appreciate you uh taking time uh really enjoyed your your stories and and getting to know you a little bit better and uh, uh appreciate you uh, being a part of those uh, of course the 07 08 cubs teams will always forever uh, uh be part of my childhood so appreciate you being a part of oh, those you, uh, fun years and uh and uh, yeah, let's. Uh, how about this? How about we have you on sometime after uh, your high school or during your yeah, high school baseball season, and, and we'll talk about the major league season and all that. All right, sounds good to me. Yeah. All right, appreciate it, Scott. Everybody, that that was Scott Air.